Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, James, training camp is officially underway. I'm trying to remember the last podcast we did. When did we talk last? Uh, we did last week was with uh, CJ right before camp opened. Oh, yeah. So we haven't talked since the opening day press conferences. We haven't nope. talked since they've gotten on the ice. So I'm opening up the floor to, to you yeah, for we a second. Were, we yeah. were trying to do a podcast before now but it's just it's the training camp schedule is pretty uh relentless and two games on saturday and did you enjoy the double header do you want them to do that every saturday night so i'm of two minds i kind of <laughs> like it because like it kind of you get to see a bunch of guys in one day it's just like a long day and i don't know that it's as great for the fans because i'm guessing a lot of people weren't sitting at home I'm sure there were some people, but like tons of people probably weren't sitting at home at one o'clock on a Saturday to watch. I was not. Yes. So anyway, um, is there anything from those first couple of days, maybe the the press conferences that, that you want to touch on before we get into some actual training camp stories? Um, I think Sheldon Keefe, I encourage the hardcore fans, maybe they already do this, but, you know, watch his press conferences and you can really learn kind of the way that he's viewing certain players and certain decisions. And, you know, I think that, um, I think his statement about there being more depth in the forward group than he's ever had before is interesting. And you can kind of see that he's thinking about deploying it, deploying it in a little bit different way maybe than he has in the past just because he feels like he has more options and, and maybe players who are a little bit more versatile than he's had in the past. So that's one thing that stood out to me. Uh, and then so there's some individual players that Sheldon Keefe has talked about that I found a little bit surprising, you know, like he seemed like, I know, I know he he's hurt now, but uh, he seemed like higher on Gaudette than I was expecting. Uh, Mete, he seemed like he had more, uh, praise for or or had him higher in his in regard than than maybe we were thinking or maybe it was something that what Mete showed in the game that he saw but you know so there there's some like maybe dark horse candidates to if not make the roster right out of camp to contribute at some point during the season yeah i think it, i think the versatility thing is is interesting i'm just looking back to basically like their bottom line to start last season and that was Spezza, Amadio and Simmons 
And now you look at like some of the the bottom six types that they have, and it's like Abe Kubel, and it's like Aston Reese, maybe Robertson, Malkin, Gaudet, Joey Anderson. Like there just is a little bit, and obviously Kelly Arncroft will play higher in the lineup. Pierre Engvall will play higher in the lineup. They they do seem to have more, I don't know, utility than they had before with some of these guys. Some of these guys are are unknowns and unproven, uh, but I think that point that you touched on that he hit on, I think is interesting. And I'm curious to see how it plays out. It just seems like, I don't know. I I think that that stands out just because it wasn't really the way we were looking at their lineup and what they did in the off season. Like, I think, you know, if you go back to some of our off season podcasts, it's like, well, they lose Kasha, they lose Mikheyev. Is the Ford group going to take a step back? You know, and maybe it's the case that they're a little bit weaker you know, with no Mikheyev, but they're stronger on the fourth line, and maybe that helps balance out uh, the way that the forward group is able to contribute. The defense, I'm, I haven't been reading a whole lot into just because they're so banged up, and it's the pairings have been weird, and you know, there's there's three guys missing. It's it's hard to read into, and the goalies, uh, you know, Samsonov, I thought looked really really good, and you know, the only thing I thought watching him, and it's preseason, and he's facing guys who who are going to play in the HL and whatever. But, you know, I think that he might make it more of a battle for the number one position than maybe we talked about uh, prior to now. So I don't know where to start with all the things that you just said. You, you've hit on so well, many things just, that I, I don't totally agree with you on. Where do, Which well, one of those well, do you want to talk just, about? Just just go down, like, what was the agenda for the show? I mean, I just, I got to give you my opening I, thoughts. You've hijacked then, it. So I've let you hijack <laughs> well, you it. Well, you just so said, now, what, do I, what I am I seeing? And I told you what, I was like lying on the couch with a glass of wine on Saturday, like trying to watch those two games. And that's what I saw. Okay, let me go backwards. So you said now, so I would not read anything, like not even like anything into how Samsonov played in one exhibition game for 40 minutes. Like that means to me, nothing. I do not buy this idea that they're trying to sell. And I understand why they're trying to sell it, that it's going to be a competition and we're going to let, they want Matt Murray to be the number one. Like you don't do what they did. Why is it, why is it far-fetched to think it's going to be a competition? It seems like that's a totally reasonable, like there's nothing that Matt Murray's done the last three years. The only thing that he has, over the last three years over Samsonov is a bigger contract. Yeah. His performance, he doesn't have it over him. Yeah. Well, I mean, last year he did. He performed better than Samsonov last year, albeit in a lot less action. You do not, I'm sorry, James, you do not trade for a guy making that much money and and be like, yeah, we're cool if he's the number two or the one A or when it, whatever it is. Well, hopefully like, if Samsonov is better and like, let's say they split the first 10 starts and Samsonov's got a 922 and Murray's got a 900. I mean, they better start playing Samsonov more. Fair, but I do not believe that that's the intention. I know that that's how you have to sell it, but I just don't believe that. You don't, you don't do what they did if you're thinking, well, if... It'll be nice if Matt Murray starts 35 times as a backup to Samsonov. Like, I just don't think that Well, that's if he does because Samsonov's so good, then I think you're okay with it. I don't know. I, I just I think, I I think guess, man. I guess. I, I had my fantasy draft on Friday, and Matt Murray went incredibly high to another team. And then I took Samsonov like right at the end of the draft with one of the yeah, last Yeah, so you're picks. biased. You're well, biased. I'm not, no, but I did that because I think that I think that the gap between the two is not as big as using like your fifth fifth round pick or your twentieth round pick. Like I, I think that 
there's a, a larger possibility that Samsonov is the starter than than that. I guess what I'm I'm kind of hinting at in on a couple fronts. I think you should be careful what you read into what they say at this point in, in anything. I don't, I'm not even sure what they said about Samsonov. That's not. I just thought he looked good. I don't, I'm not even. They have into said it. exactly what you're said. Like that, there's a competition. And we're gonna let it play out. Like I, it could get to that point, but I. I don't think that there's any doubt that they I don't are hoping think, that Matt Murray is the guy. Uh, maybe, but I don't think Matt Murray's earned to not be in a competition. I don't think there's anything he's done that, that which says is he why there's be. which is why they're saying what they're saying. But you anyway. We don't need to drag this point on. That I'll go backwards again to the defense that you you touched on. I, I beg to differ. I think all this stuff actually does matter because Timothy Logan's not going to play for the first six weeks of the season. Jake Muzzin, we're going to talk about in in a second. Rasmus Sandin is not here. They they have to start planning for contingencies, like what's going to happen in this situation, what's going to happen in this situation. Like, I I I I'm not reading so much into everything that they do at this point, but I do not think that it means nothing. For example, that Jordy Ben takes a, a couple practices with Morgan Riley. Like, I don't think that's meaningless. I don't think it's indicative of how they're planning to start, but who knows? Like, who knows what's going to happen with Jake Muzzin? Who knows what's going to happen with Sandine? We know Lilligren's out. Like, well, it's, I mean, we were thinking with the D, it's like, oh, they got seven NHL guys and it's crowded and maybe they got to think about trading one of them. And, and then, and then all of a sudden you don't have Lilligren. Sandine hasn't signed and we don't know what's going to happen. I still feel like Sandine is going to sign before the season starts because once you get into the season starting, all of a sudden, you get into having to prorate the cap hit differently and it gets a lot more complicated. And you also don't have, have Muzzin, although it seems like Muzzin's going to be ready to start the season. But, you know, even if you're missing two of those guys, all of a sudden, Mete and Ben matter a whole lot more than in the offseason we were talking about them mattering. Yes. All right. Let's get back on track because you've, you've I, kind of I don't know what me- track is. Well, you told me to tell you what I saw from the games and what I was... I know. Uh, no, all you I did, did a was, great job. I just you did, did a whatever great job. I, I did what you, you did told me to job. do, so yeah. I didn't. But even, now, I don't. Okay, what's up? What's next? We're back on schedule. The podcast is starting. Start the music. Um, so I want to talk about Muzzin. I think that's the most interesting thing that's happened in camp so far. So the day before, or not the day before, the morning of the first day of camp, the Leafs say that he's dealing with back issues and he's not going to be on the ice for a week or until next week. Um. That's obviously very concerning just based on the way last year went, based on the injuries, based on his age, based on the signs of decline that we saw last year. What went through your mind when you saw that that was a thing that was happening? Because you and I had discussed frequently in the offseason that we thought it was risky that the Leafs decided to hang on to Jake Muzzin. Yeah, and I don't even think... I think once they saw him play the way he did in the in the playoffs and in those few games down the stretch when he came back from injury, I don't think they thought very hard about potentially trying to move him. I, I, I was told pretty early in the offseason that he was staying and that, you know, the, there's a belief there that when it comes to those big games against a team like Tampa, that he's a guy that you want to have in your top four. So, you know, I think really the decision to, to keep Muzzin was one geared at aimed at, at at how he's going to play in the playoffs is sort of what they're thinking. And if they have to load management him, if they have to cut him down to 19 minutes a game, if he if he's only going to play 60 games and he's going to have some injuries or whatever, and he's going to miss part of training camp, they're willing to live with that because they feel like the upside is, is going to come 
you know, with his experience and and everything uh, when the games really count for this team. I think the trouble with that, and I understand the thinking, I think the only, the, the trouble is like, you're, you're kind of assuming that you're going to get that guy again. And I, I, I just don't know that you can kind of expect that to happen based on the way things went last year. Like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it, yeah, I, to but expect I think that again the, seems a little, I don't know. Like, what are the chances that that happens again but based what, on what, his age, based on, yeah. The counterpoint to that is what's the alternative? Like, what do they do? Like, where are you going to go find another top four? I don't love that argument the more I've thought about it. Yeah, it's I understand it, but it's like, well... So, like, I've I've been questioned by Leafs fans, you know, just people I'm friends with, and they're like, well, why didn't they do... Why don't they just trade Muzzin and put Sandine in the top four? And it's like, well, yes, Sandine's a left-shot defenseman, but he's not Jake Muzzin. He's a completely different kind of player. That's true, but you, if in theory you trade him and you go use those dollars to get someone else. Now the question is like, what, who can you get and what do they cost? And I think that's, that's fair and reasonable, but I, like, was there a left defenseman signed in the off season that you would have been excited about them spending money on and, and getting like a, a lot of the UFA prices were again, were ridiculous. Yeah, that's fair. But I, I I'm just not sure that that argument that, Ever since that argument was made with Dion Phaneuf, like it's it's always kind of been a little bit. It doesn't pass the smell test for me as much. I get it, and yet I also don't get it. Anyway, we don't need to dwell but too I, long. On I that. I just think I said this with the goaltending. I think last week when when we had Chris on, it's it's fine if you don't like what they did with Murray and Samsonov. But I think if you're going to be an analyst or you want to criticize that move, I think there needs to be part of that that criticism or that analysis has to be what's the alternative. Well, so is the alternative their- for you, Sandine, or you? The alternative was trade Someone Muzzin away else. and like find mystery box defensemen. Like I think, yeah, that's where know, I would be at. Like in the, in the real world where the Leafs live, they just weren't confident. I don't think that they could replace him easily. Yeah, but- and and I, I I think that I think that I understand that, but I I guess the thing I'm I would be worried about is like you're assuming that you're going to get that guy, and I'm just not sure that that is a reasonable assumption at this point, just based on age and injuries. That's what will too, concern me. The other thing too, Jonas, is that Muzzin is, they can, they consider him part of the, he's not, he's not the captain. He's not, I don't, he's not wearing an A, right? Like it typically, like, no, he's they, like they secondary can, A. Yeah. They, they consider him, you know, bedrock to what they're trying to build in terms of their program, the leadership. He's very, very close with the Leafs best players. He's, Yep. You know, there's there's just there's a lot of belief in Jake Muzzin and in in that dressing room and in the yeah, front he's office. He's the core, and, James. Like there's six guys who have yeah. been here the last whatever number of years since it's hard to believe. Eh? Like I remember that day 18. when they traded for him and you know, it doesn't feel like that long ago and then now all of a sudden he's he's been one of the one of the guys that's been around a long period of time and just his experience and the way he carries himself and all of those things all of those factored into them yeah. believing that he can be that guy, but they're going to take a ton of criticism if he's hurt the whole year and, or if he's as ineffective as he was for, I mean, how many games was that last year? 50 games or something where he just wasn't, didn't play well. It's yeah. going to be, uh, it's going to be awfully tough because he's, he's making a lot of money. Yeah. I don't think I've explained myself well, and I think you've done a good job of explaining their stance and I, I understand their stance. I guess I, I guess it boils down to, I just am not sure that the guy that they got in the playoffs who played great, he was excellent, hard minutes, 
I just am I'm less sure that you're going to be getting that guy. And if you're not getting that guy, that's concerning. And then we show up to the first day of camp and he can't go on the ice. Now, like it's it's September. Um, so there's Couldn't like they a, just be like just be like we don't need to push him through like all of like the like bag skates and the preseason games and yeah, like, but like, this is a guy we're gonna have to like counter you know James I mean? is you that's why you have training camp it's to get ready for the season it's to get ready for the grind and if he now I you're saying maybe like, you don't need him during the season like maybe maybe the goal with really? him is like you just yeah maybe you just need him in the playoffs maybe you like don't care how good he is in October. I don't even know if it's how good that's part one. Part two is like health. Like, is he going to be able to stay healthy? Well, there's, there's a number of, there's a number of gambles that the Leafs are making this season, right? The goaltending is the most obvious one, but Muzzin is another one. What's there, there are other gambles as well, right? Like they're, they're coming back again with Tavares and Nylander playing together. It Mm -hmm. certainly seems like so far. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously, the goaltending feels like the most obvious one. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that really stands out as a as a true gamble. No, I, I mean, think they, I think you've got it. I mean, you could you could say the age on their defense, like Giordano's 39 or turning 39. Brody's next month. getting up there now. Brody's right? 32. Muzzin's 33, going on 34. Justin Hall, I believe, is 31, turning 32. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I feel like we've gone darker than is necessary but I, I guess the point is like um, when there are injury concerns with Jake Muzzin and he's not able to be on the ice in the first week of camp like that is concerning basically Justin Hall, Justin Hall is 30 oh is he 30 okay so he's going 30, he's 31. 31 in January okay anyway alright pre- don't prematurely age Justin Hall don't age yeah hey listen I, I like Justin Hall I think he's Anyway, be interesting to see. That. He's going to be a UFA. It'll be interesting to see what uh, he might get on the open market. Well, so to your point, and and to the Leafs' apparent point, like these are some of the contracts that were handed out. So Ben Sherratt, as you know well, <laughs> got four point seven five on a four year deal. So that's one. Look who Lubushkin got. Well, wait, I'm not done. I'm going to go through some guys, and you're going to be like, "Oh my god, I forgot about that." Eric Branson, four yep. years, four million. Ridiculous. Uh, Nikita Zadorov. Two years, three point seven five. That's okay. Nick Letty got some. Nick Letty got four years at four million. Boy, how old is Nick Letty now? Isn't he? He's like, thirty one. Oh, that's it. it. Seemed like that contract was one that the Islanders were trying to like get away from for a long time, and then and then, and then he then got signed again. There's another one. Yeah. Well, defensemen, are, the, the scarcity becomes a real factor, and you start seeing these defensemen at thirty three, thirty four years old getting another three or four year contract. It happens. A lot. Even though if you look at the age curve on defensemen in the NHL, it's like, I don't know. It gets real dicey around 34. I remember when they signed Muzzin to the four-year contract, most of what I wrote was about age curve. Well, and, and I'm pretty sure what we said at that point, you and I both, was like it was the third and fourth years of the contract that were yeah. concerning. And that's where we're I, at. I mean, when he signed that deal, it's like he's probably not going to be here for the fourth year. Yeah. And it's the third year that now comes into question. Like, listen, if they can get him, if they can figure out a way to keep him healthy um, for when it matters, actually not just for when it matters, because he needs to be like the, the chances of what happened last year happening again, like if he's hurt a bunch and then just expecting him to be great in the playoffs, like that's seems a little far-fetched. But if they can what find a way just to playing keep him on the third pair, Jonas, what yeah, just, just reducing his minutes. I don't know. It might make sense. 
Well, it's like, but then like the the other guy that you have is thirty nine. I don't know how much more you can play him. Oh boy! So everyone's getting it, old, inclu- including us. It's just like, <sighs> yeah. Anyway, we can move on. Um, let's let's take a break, and then I want to get into a bit more about the defense and some of the ramifications. We also need to talk about James's favorite player, Dennis Malgan, and the competition up front. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, James, I don't know if we solved a whole lot in that first segment, but I, I thought it was an interesting conversation to have. Anyway, let's talk a little bit more about the defense um, with a little grin out, Muzzin TBD, Sandine TBD, Mete, Ben, how do you feel about those guys potentially being part of things to start the season and which guy do you kind of favor? Well, I'm thinking at least one of Muzzin or Sandine will be back. So if that's the case, then, uh, Trying to then only then only one of those guys is going to be playing right and yeah I, I don't know from from what I've seen I think that Mete and Ben are kind of you want them to be like six seven defensemen yeah. and typically around the league a number six defenseman plays like twelve minutes a game and you play him in sheltered minutes he goes out there to maybe kill penalties a little bit or or maybe just to give a break to the Morgan Rileys on the team. And you just hope they're not a liability. And I think that, like, I, I, I honestly, Jonas, I don't think it's worth spending that much time talking about them because barring <laughs> catastrophe, they're probably not going to play that much. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, if I would, if I was going to play one of them to start, it, it would be Ben. I And you and I have talked about this just uh, offline or online? Offline. Slack? What is Slack? Offline? Online. Hello? <laughs> I think you're anyway, doing great. I'm just going to let you yeah, keep going. <laughs> you I, and I have talked about this. This is like Mr. Hate- Burns with the ketchup and ketchup. <laughs> I don't hate the idea of having like a Riley-Ben pairing where Ben is doing exactly what you said. He's playing like 10, 12 minutes and Riley's kind of bouncing around. I just don't know what they're going to do. Assuming Jake Muzzin is healthy, I kind of think you go back with Muzzin Brody and then I kind of think you go Giordano with Hall, assuming Sandine's not around. And then I don't really know what you do with Riley. That's kind of my one big question mark at the time. Like, what do you think they do? Do you think there's any way they just go back with Riley, Brody, Muzzin, Hall, Giordano, Ben or something? Yeah, I think that's possible. Yeah, I, I could I could see that happening. I mean, the, another thing to keep in mind, all this talk about age and everything. I mean, uh, Jordy Ben is 35 years old. So <laughs> yes, I forgot he's one of the that. oldest defensemen in the NHL. Like, he's been around a long time. And I, the, he's played on some bad teams. He played at Winnipeg and uh, uh, he was in Vancouver when they weren't very good. Uh, Montreal. Was he Montreal last year? Yeah. Kind of the timeline in my, you know, and even on those teams, he's only kind of like a 15 minute a night guy. So on, on one of the best teams in the league, like he's not, 
I like Jordy Ben. Like he's a he's a good character depth guy at this point in his career. But again, we probably you we probably shouldn't be like putting a lot of emphasis on him because if you're having to rely on him for more than just to be a fringe guy, then then you're in trouble. So he played 15 minutes a game last year for Minnesota. Uh, the year before that, he yeah he's, he's never been a big minute minutes. guy. Like he's no. I don't think he's he's almost always been a third pair guy everywhere he's gone. Yep, yep. I think that's interesting. I think you're you're right. We should just zoom past it, James. Um, do you want to talk at all about Sandine? I don't feel like there's it's not on my schedule. I just don't know what there is to add at this point. It's it's not great that he's not. At training camp, like he's going to miss a chunk of training camp. How long it is, we'll see. But like, this is not good for either side. I feel like the last two shows we went pretty in depth on Sandine. I mean, the only thing I would say is that there's a deadline looming with the October 12th with the start of the season. And I, Chris said this last week. There, there can't be that much money. That's a difference here. Like, just just get something done. Do some sort of a compromise. This is not worth the extra hundred or two hundred grand. It's just not worth it. Yeah, a one-year contract kind of makes the most sense at this point. Well, apparently the Leafs are sticking to like a really low number on a one-year deal, like close to qualifying. Like clo- yeah, like it, I, I honestly, I think there's a lot of similarities with what happened with Dermot a couple of years ago. Well, he took the number of, of the qualifying offer, he, right? Yeah, I mean, and they didn't sign until quite late in the summer, I believe. And at the end of the day, they were just like, we don't have any leverage. And like, didn't you sign in August or something? Yeah, I believe you're right. On to the next part of the schedule, James, which you have no idea what's on it because I keep it secret from you to keep you off guard. Um, so the second line in the forward competition, I think it's been pretty interesting. Like I'm I'm intrigued with a lot of these guys with Adam Gaudet, with Denny Malgin, uh, Nick Robertson, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford. I like this Pontus Holberg. I don't know if he can I don't think he'll make the team right away and there's probably a good chance he doesn't play at all. But I don't know. There's a world where I think he gets some games at some point. Um who else is there in that mix? My guy Zach Gaston Reese, who I think is really interesting, who I think should be on the team. Anybody in that those two games, one game stick out to you? Anybody you're really intrigued with? Well, Yarncrock, I mean, showed what he can do, right? I, I think James. People, have, people have been down on the yarn crock, but he uh, he almost he almost got a hat trick. I don't have a good pun for that, but a yarn trick. Hello, <laughs> I'm here. That was my handoff to you. <laughs> yeah, that was I don't know. You, you you made it sound like you were going to say something. You said my name, and then nothing else. No, I just wanted you to hang awkwardly with your bad joke. Um. I, I didn't mean Yarncroak. He he's not in that group. I meant the guys like kind of competing for jobs. Oh. We can come back to Yarncroak in a sec, but like anybody well, from among that group, like does Dennis Malgan like are you actually thinking like, hey, maybe like maybe he'll be on the team? Like how well, serious are you considering him? The only thing with him is that in in Haley Salvian wrote uh, a nice story about him at the Athletic. If you haven't read it yet, I encourage people to check it out. Haley's going to be contributing some Leafs coverage for us this year. The only, like, why would he come back if there was no chance of him playing for the Leafs? Doesn't make sense. Like, it, like it does, what is he hoping for here? He's hoping for an opportunity. So, to me, that says that the Leafs have, are, are giving him a chance. Like, they're not, and they're playing him with good players in camp. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that he gets some sort of an opportunity. So, they signed him on July 13th, and that's 
That's right around the start of free agency. Um, he makes nothing, seven fifty. I mean, if you're Kyle Dubas and and you believed him believed in him at one point, he had some really highly productive seasons in Switzerland. I mean, I guess you say to him, listen, like we have jobs open. Like if you come into camp and you perform, you can make the team. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, Keith said today that what he's noticed about Malgan so far is like he's a lot more like competitive getting pucks back and that that's something he sees as different from the first time when they had him. Obviously, that first time they trade for him. He plays eight games. He plays with Tavares. He doesn't get a he point. He just wasn't good. He, w- he like, was not. wasn't. He wasn't noticeable. Like he didn't. He never like got the puck and made a move. And you're like, oh, look at Dennis Malgit. Like he was just like not there. So he's younger than I thought he was. How old do you think he is? I'm sure well, you know the, this. I mean, part of the reason the Leafs still have his rights is because he's an RFA age, right? So would he, he's 26, I guess. 25. Yeah. So he's younger than I thought. I I still. I don't love the idea of him long term. Like I don't love going into a playoff series with him playing on your second line, if that makes any sense. Um, just no, based me, on the way for me, yeah. Jonas. I think. Sorry to interrupt you. I I think that I think what makes sense for Malgin is if you go to that configuration where you have a camp line that's a really a shutdown checking line, and then you have a whether you want to call it a third line option two or a fourth line or whatever, that's got some skilled players on it. I think that's probably where he slots in. And I, yeah, think, that I think that potentially makes he could outplay like a Goddad. He could potentially outplay like a Robertson just with some more experience. I think there's, there's possibly an opportunity if you want to have another scoring line in your bottom six that he could contribute there. Well, I've been, you and I've been talking about this and I think it's, it's kind of shaping up that way. It's early, like who knows, but I think there's a world where that's where they're leaning just based on how some of these configurations have gone, mostly because Alex Kerfoot has just played center. And it kind of feels like that's a possibility where Kerfoot will just be the center of like what you're talking about, like line 3A, which plays more offense. Mm-hmm. And then Camp is like the center of line 3B that just plays that's what, defense. That's what I would do, Jonas, given the, the personnel that they've got. Well, and, it, and it's pretty clear, like you mentioned Yarncroft, we could talk about him now, like Keith, so far it's early, but Keith appears to love him and like love the u- utility and the versatility that he can bring where he can kind of play basically anywhere. Like he could really play on any line. Like I don't think he's going to play on your top line, but lines two through four, he can play left wing, he can play center, he can play right wing, he can kill penalties, he can play power play. So he kind of gives you the option now to move Kerfoot around, right? Like well, I that's think, I think you got to. I don't think you can go back with Kerfoot and Yonder Tavares. I, I don't. No, know I think that that's got to be dead for now. It has yeah. to die for sure. So you got to. Someone else has got to play there. Whether it, I mean, maybe you give Amalgam a shot in preseason and see. The, the funny thing is, is that that's who, that's in his Haley pointed out in her story. That's who he played with the last time around when it was a bust. So. Yes. But they gave I mean, him an opportunity then, yeah. I, well, you know, in our preview show, I talked about maybe Engvall plays there. Or like, you know, I think I think you just got to get some looks. At, or maybe one of the new guys like Kubel, Abe Kubel, or uh, I mean, it, it seems like uh, Keefe has thought maybe Godet could play there, which seems bizarre to me given that he's been such a fringe guy the last few years. But You're going to think this is crazy, James. You know who I think could play there, or at least I would like to see it, is Aston Rees. He doesn't have any offense, though. Like, it's... You're going to read my story later this week. 
I think there might be a little bit. I don't know. I think that there's something. I think there might be a little bit more there than there has been of late. I, I had a conversation with him and I'm writing about it. So it's like very top of mind. But if you look early in his career, the guy he played most with in Pittsburgh, like first couple of years was Crosby, like as far as the center goes. And I'm sure you remember like those stretches where he scored a bit. Anyway, I, I, I think there are a lot of options to play there. I like the idea of Abe Kubel getting a shot there. I, I think they maybe you just spend the season seeing how everyone looks, see how Yarncrook looks there, and maybe you split them up. Like that's something Keith talked about on the first day. Um, that I don't think he's totally committed to keeping them together, but it, it just creates lineup problems elsewhere if you do split them up. Like it, it erases the utility, for instance, of that camp line. So mm, yeah, but not if you have another scoring line that that potentially could make sense for Neilander to play on. Is he going to be able to get enough minutes on that line? Like, and who's on that line? Like, well, are you thinking like, I guess, I guess like maybe James, you, you could pull do some minutes away from Tarvaris, I guess. And or, or James, like maybe you're not wrong. Like you could do Kerfoot, Nylander, fill in the blank, right? Yarncrock or. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. And then I don't know who Tavares plays with, but <laughs> you have to try and build a line around him that makes sense. And that's another challenge. I mean, eventually, like I think it. When we get to writing about the trade deadline, which feels like it's like nine years away and it it should feel like it's nine years away, it kind of feels like that's the spot that we'll probably end up thinking that they'll add. I mean, maybe defense. It's so far away. But anyway. Matt, Matthew Nyes' music. Dun, yeah. dun, 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 uh. I have a couple other names written on my sheet, but maybe we'll get to them in the pod bag. Well, we can should just... We? Let's let's do lightning round. Who else you got? Uh, Nick Robertson. I feel like we've talked about him a lot. I, I didn't really particularly notice him in the so far, I would say. So I'm of two minds on him. I'm with you, and that's kind of the way I've felt so far. Again, very, very, very early. But we have to talk about it because it's happened. And we have to talk about camp and how these things go, and he's in tough to make the team for lots of reasons. Um there's a world like just based on the way things have lined up where they do what we're talking about. And the fourth line is like Robertson, Kerfoot, Abe, Kubel. Mm -hmm. I guess the question that they're probably wrestling with is like, is he ready now? Because the hard thing with him, um, I talked to him today and, and the hard thing is like, he's been around a while. Like he was drafted, he's, what, in 2018? He's so, he's is so he 2018 young, or 2019? I think 2018. Yeah. He just turned 2021. 20, yeah, but that's the thing. Like he's turned, he just turned twenty one, right? Like it's yeah. like he's twenty nineteen draft, so he hasn't been right. around as long as it. But like he was in the, on the bubble team. I just don't know. I guess where I'm at is there are other guys I'd probably put ahead of him. Is that yeah, where you're I, at as well? Yeah, I think Robertson's going to split time between the two teams. You know, I think he's going to play thirty games for the Leafs and fifty games for the Marlies, and I think that that's totally fine for a guy who's. 21 years old who just turned 21 two weeks ago. I think that's yeah. totally fine. You know, it's, he was a second round pick. Yeah. He had the huge OHL season, but I don't think he's a bust or anything. If he's not full-time NHL or this year, I think some of the ways I see people talking about him are just not, you know, he had a point a game while having an injury plague season last year in the AHL at 20 years old as an undersized guy. Like it's good for him. But yeah. I think that people also have to temper their expectations. Like, I don't think, 
I, I hate saying things like this, like this early with someone that young, but I don't think he's going to be a superstar. Like, I think he's going to be like a contributing NHL player. So, yeah, you know, that's part of why his development curve is a little bit different. He's not, he's not uh, William Nylander or whatever, you know, it's, you know, but I, I guess think the, I, I, the I think upside James for Robertson at the top end is probably like a solid second liner. Like if he ends up becoming that, I think you're, you're really happy with that. A guy who scores 20 goals and puts up 50 points. Like that's the top end. That would be, that would be amazing. Yeah. I think yeah. you'd feel really, really good about that. And you know, like the, maybe he's a third line guy that's, you know, 15 goals and 35 points or whatever. But I think, I think he's on a trajectory to be an NHL player and how the next, this is a big year for him. I mean, even if he only does play 30 games for the Leafs, how do those 30 games go? Does he make more of an impact than we've seen in the NHL? Than previously. Yeah, I think I think what you're talking about in terms of the narrative, I I just think it's it's also been a reality of the way things have gone for him, where he, he's on that team right away, right? Like he's on the bubble team, then he has a bunch of injuries, then he performs really well, but he doesn't really stick with the Leafs. He gets an opportunity last year, n- not much really happens in it. I just I just think there's been a lot, and he's also been pretty vocal about his ambition. Um, like he's pretty serious. He he clearly really wants to be in the NHL now what it is too though Jonas is that there's just like a dearth of other prospects around him pushing that also yes there were a bunch of guys right in the like he's kind of one of the only really young guys that's you know so he gets talked about like when Corey Promo puts out his list of prospects to watch in NHL training camps for every team it's been him like three years in a row it feels like I don't know if that for sure but it's definitely been him more than once so I think that from the families is like oh this guy again like that you know they I think with prospects, it's always like they want to, people want to see who the next one's going to be and what they could be. And for Robertson to be in that position for as long as he has, I think sometimes. Anyway, we said this is going to be lightning round and it's like the opposite. This is like. <laughs> I like what it. Was the other, it's interesting. What was the other name? All right. You have one sentence or less. Adam Gaudet. Well, I don't know. I, I'm The thing that surprised me the most about him, and I have already said it on the show, is I'm surprised the Leafs are so excited about him and think he can be. You know, they weren't they trying to kind of say they oh maybe he'll be another bunting or something. I was like, well, I don't know. This guy's like had lots of chances. I wrote about him and Abe Kubel along that line in the summer that these are the two guys basically that it looks like they're hoping can be the next bunting. I don't think either actually I don't think. I I do not expect I shouldn't say I can't say for sure. To me, neither of these guys is an ex-bunting. I don't think they have another bunting. Like that's that's that situation is so unique and so unlikely to repeat. Like I think it's very safe to say that neither Adam Gaudet nor Nicholas Abe Kubel is going to have twenty whatever goals and sixty points playing for nine fifty. I think we're pretty safe. Pretty safe to say that. So, but if they can get like you're not going out on a limb there. (laughs) No, exactly. But (laughs) if they can get like. If let's say Adam Gaudet can score twelve goals and he's making seven fifty and he can give them a little bit of offense, that's not Michael Bunting, but it's it's still helpful value for a team that needs to like maximize every dollar. Lightning All round right. over. Let's get to the pod bag. All right, James, I gotta tell you before you get into that. Next time you're like in the the West End, because you're like an East End fella, you gotta have pizza at this place called Baldiali. Bad you, you've 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 mentioned that to me in the past. The, okay. the problem I have with pizza, and I think I've said this on the show, is I have little kids, and little kids with like fancy pizzas just it doesn't mix. They just like 
they look at it and they're like, what the hell is wrong with this pizza? I want my run-of-the-mill Just get pepperoni, James. Just get pepperoni. They won't eat it. They won't eat it. Wait till you, when you have a kid, you'll like, it's just, they'll look at it and be like, this, this pizza is bad. It's not whatever. Like they just want whatever the chain generic stuff is. And so whatever, the lesson with kids, and this is for people that don't yet have kids or have really young kids. Whatever pizza you want to eat for the rest of your freaking life, make sure that's what you introduce them to and tell them it's pizza. Because like, <laughs> so what is that for you guys? <laughs> well, we do Pizza Nova, which is fine. Like it's it's not, but it, but you don't you can't like switch it up. I mean, you can, but they're not going to eat it. So you gotta you gotta give them something else for dinner. I should just make them craft dinner and get whatever kind of pizza I want. I like that. Big pizza Nova is 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 fine. It is it's fine. All right. Uh, Adam wants to know who's the closest comparable GM to Dubis in the NHL. I feel like he makes moves. No one sees coming. What is his reputation league wide? Is there anyone you would compare to Dubis? It's Let's hard see. to compare GMs, right? Like a younger analytics GM. I don't know. I think people are probably going to c- compare him to Kyle Davidson in Chicago, possibly because yeah. they're both named, they're both named Kyle. I would not make that comparison. Uh, I'm just looking across <laughs> the league. But Jonas, they yeah, have the same th- name. <laughs> I don't know that there's a perfect comparison, really. I mean, there's not a lot of young GMs, number one, right? And there's not a lot who kind of think and approach things like he does. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone, like, I'm just looking through the teams, like Bill Zito, no. Joe Sackick, No. Uh, Don Waddell, no. Bill Guerin, no. Bradtree Living, no. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Chris Drury, no. I mean, there is like some Julian Breezewa's like arguably the best GM in the league. But there's some there's some Breezewa, but like, no. Doug Armstrong, no. You know what well, I mean? Like, the, I, I don't know who it is. players that are GMs. And I, I think Dubas is, a, is unique in a couple of ways. Do you think he's underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Man, on he seems he's very divisive. You know, I, I think that he's even in the fan base, he's very divisive for what and he always has been. Al- always has been. You know, I thought it was yeah. really interesting looking at both you and Chris wrote about the, the contract situation last week with Dubas and Chris was very, very uh he his his was very strongly worded that the Leafs should should give him a new contract and it doesn't matter what happens this season because he's done such a good job and the blowback that he got was was significant. But you know, like I look at our audience and it's I, I still feel like seven out of ten Leafs fans support Dubas and, and believe that he's done a good job as GM. But then there's the the other thirty percent. It's a really loud group. You know, it's interesting and like back when they had. Uh, you know, back when Burke was the GM, you would get people defending, you know, what what he had done. Nonis didn't really seem to engender as many uh, strong opinions one way or the other. But it's – and so I would say that outside of Toronto, outside of the market, I think Dubas has become underrated just because – I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like the Leafs and that's fine. I, I get it. It's a, it's a rivalry thing and a regional thing and everything. But I think he's become – but I don't think he's underrated around the league. Like I think that if he was available, another team would hire him. Like I, I he he would be a GM again right away. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. L- let me. I get to put you on the spot here, Jonas. 
Sure. Renee, Renee wants to know predictions for who will not clear waivers once everyone is healthy. Assuming they don't, don't they don't, assuming like they have to cut right down to a, like a 20 man roster, like who, who should they be worried about potentially losing on waivers? I mean, I, the kind of guys like they could lose a, a goddad on waivers probably, right? They could lose a, maybe they well, could let me lose give a, you some candidates. A Victor Mete depth, or. I have the depth chart in front of me. Okay. So goddad, you think he gets claimed? I would say like maybe 40% chance or something like that. I'm going to say no. Malgan. I don't think he would get claimed, no. I didn't need that either. Wayne Simmons. Maybe, yeah. I would say, I don't know, 30% chance he gets claimed. Agreed. Uh, Kyle Clifford? No, he won't. No, he wouldn't get claimed, no. Joey Anderson? No. Wouldn't get claimed. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, uh, Victor Mete? I don't know, maybe. I mean, it just depends on... He was on depend- waivers a bit in the past, wasn't he? Yeah, and he, he did he get end up getting he did get claimed right like because Ottawa had him and then like he bounced around a little bit there right yeah I think you're right and Jordy Ben I could see Jordy Ben getting claimed it depends you know if a team has injuries they really need someone on the right side yeah I mean like if they end up waving both Mete and Ben I think part of the beauty of having both of them is it, it there's a decent possibility you lose one of them on waivers yeah I think that's I think that's about it as far as like waivers potential goes yeah i can't think of anybody else <laughs> hopefully we're not forgetting anybody because like well because zach and reese like they would sign him and he wouldn't be going on waivers so right nick robertson doesn't need waivers yeah i think that's it uh mitchell asked something which is in line with what we talked about do you think the leafs have the right personnel to have a scoring third line centered by kerfoot and a defensive fourth line with camp would Keith be willing to do it i mean i think to me i'm reading the tea leaves it seems like that's the way he's leaning right now don't you Yes. Um, it's just going to be about like where some of those other pieces fit, right? And who, which of these, um, like we talk about all these these depth forwards, like who actually performs at camp will decide, I think, a lot of the direction they go. You know what I mean? Like if, let's say they want Aston Reese and they, they want him over Robertson, that's going to change potentially what they do with those third and fourth lines as will what they do with who's going to play with Tavares and Neilander. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much in the air, but it, it kind of feels like based on Kerfoot, like where else is Kerfoot going to go uh, if he's not playing with Tavares and Neilander? I guess he could go on a third line, right? Like that's very conceivable. Yeah, but it's a waste of Kerfoot probably to put him with Kampf on just like a checking line that's in the D zone. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I think it'll be interesting to see if that's what they can do. If like if they can build a fourth, I don't even think it's a fourth. I guess it's like two third lines or whatever the hell you I want to call Kemp it. Becomes the fourth line in that case, like it. You know, well, no you made the point that. to me, James, and I think it's it's a fair one that that he probably shouldn't be playing as much as he played at times. No, he played like fifteen and a half minutes. I mean, on a contender, like he played. Didn't, I think he played more than he did in Chicago. Like that doesn't make any sense. It's just they were kind of thin on options for who they could play on the. The fourth line wasn't good enough last year. It just wasn't. No. And I think this year there's going to be an improvement there. And how much that matters, I guess we'll see. How much do you think he averaged in the playoffs? Camp? Well, yeah. didn't he play? There was that one game he had. The, didn't he have a huge game one, was it? He had that, just he had guess. That one, I don't know, 16 minutes? 17 and a half minutes. Hmm. But there's some remember, overtime. Like that line- there's some overtime and stuff in there too, right? Yes. Um. 
And there's and like they just they found a lot of utility in him. Like he was really good at points in that series. Like they were burying you, him like crazy. You've said utility many times on this podcast. Yeah. Well, I've used it a lot in my Zach Hasen Reese story. I need a new word. Is that that story's going tomorrow? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to. It's on the skid. <laughs> yeah, it'll go at some point. It'll we go can't just have point. a Malgan story for three days. Why? <laughs> People want more content. Do you think it's possible? Can I just ask you, do you think it's possible? Like he changes the narrative of that trade? Like, do you think that maybe that's Mm. just why he's here? He just saw all the stuff about Mason Marchman. He's like, I'm, I'm going to prove people wrong. I don't, I mean, maybe the least front office was like, yeah, let's bring this guy back. It can't get any worse. The people's opinion of that trade. I think the only way he could change the narrative of that trade is if he really produces offense. Like he had the one year in Florida where he had 22 points, I think, 11 goals. So in 50 games, I mean, if if he can do that again, is it change the narrative? Probably not because Marchman's done done more than that. Yeah, and got a huge contract. Where did he sign? Yeah, in? Uh, Dallas, right? Pretty. Yeah. I think he was signed with Dallas, and it was and it, it was, was a monster. Lot. It was a lot. Wow. <laughs> four years, four and a half. I wow. can't see that. I mean, all the power to him and like, God bless him for, you know, what happened with his dad and everything. And, but that's, that's, that's a, that's a big number to live up to, but you know, good for him. I mean, nobody, I get asked about that trade a lot. And the answer is, I don't, the Leafs didn't see him becoming that. Yeah. And credit to him. Like he was not a good skater early on in his career and he got better and better and better. And, Obviously, the goal scoring came. And uh, Nicole has... This is a question for you, Jonas, because I'm not really sure. Nicole wants to know, what's the story with Dylan Ferguson? Where does he rank on the goalie depth chart? Is he any good? Do you think there's a... Is he going to potentially get a contract? Or I th- kind of think he's there in case a goalie gets hurt and then maybe he gets a contract. It feels that way. I mean, he's on a PTO, I believe. Um, yes. That's why I said he might get a contract. Well, and especially with the... <laughs> like, yes... Joseph Wall is hurt, and right now, like, number three is Shogun, obviously, and then it's like, yeah, right? So, maybe you sign him into an AHL deal, or I uh, I have a soft spot for Dylan Ferguson, because he's a good BC boy, and he played uh, three years as the starter in Kamloops, which is my favorite team. So. Are you from there? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you know, looking at... He, he really hasn't played a whole lot of, of pro hockey. I mean, he only played 13 games in the AHL last year. You know, the numbers were okay. You know, I, I, is he any good? Who knows? But I think that if he's your number four, if, you know, if Wall is, is out for a little while, I think that that's fine. Love the Kamloops content. Can't wait till Fraser Minton makes the team. That's all I'm going to want to write, write about. I like Fraser Minton just watching him the first few days at camp. He doesn't look usually like guys that young who just come out of the draft. They look like wildly out of place in the first days of their first camp. He kind of looks like he looks like he's more advanced than he probably should be is my early hot take. Yeah. I mean, the thing that the scouting report from the Myrtle family clan who are all season ticket holders and go to all the games is that he's just, he's smart. He works really hard. He's a hound on the puck. He's, he's going to help you uh, with a good two way game. And, and that offensively there's a little bit more there than maybe what he's been able to show. You, you got to keep in mind, he's a young guy on a campus is one of the best teams in the, in junior hockey right now. And, you know, so he's playing a little bit down the lineup and that's probably why the offensive numbers aren't as high as some of the other players in the in the draft year 
Well, and he, he has like a pretty, like he's pretty good size for someone his age. Like he doesn't look small, like he's 6'2", almost 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. He's got pretty good pace. Like I've been, I, I like him. Like he, I'm surprised he, he looks like he does at this point because usually with young guys, that's not how it looks. Well, anyway. Camels uh, is hosting the Memorial Cup, which means he will play for a national championship in May. I will be there, and uh, maybe I'll get a maybe I'll get a one on one with Fraser Minton when I'm there. Nice, exclusive. Yeah. Uh, Mark asks, "Do you think Kemp could play on the second line with Tavares and Nylander on the wing?" No, I think we've gone galaxy brain there. Sorry, sorry. I think you're a little bit off the mark, Mark. No, I I think Kempf is like on a really good team. You want him in that like 13 minutes a game range. He's playing a lot of penalty kill and, you know, there's just not enough offense there to play him with, with your high end offensive players. Over under James, 10 and a half goals for David Kempf. He scored Uh, 11 last year. I would say under this year because I think he's going to play less. All right. I think that's probably right. He shot 11% last year. Uh, Liz wants to know, can you pare down the prospects to let us know who has a legit has a chance at playing games this season? Is there anyone in that prospect pool? I think, uh, I told uh, you, James, I like this Pontus Holmberg. Holmberg. I'm interested in him. I think he's got something. They've been using him at center a lot, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. He's, and he's like, he's not like a lot of prospects come over and like they're, they're young and raw. He's like 23, like, and he's been playing. Like he was the Swedish playoff, Swedish league playoff MVP a couple of years ago. Like he's well, he's going to be a top line guy with the Marlies, right, to start the year, and he doesn't require waivers to go up and down. So next to like if if they have an injury to a center and he's playing really well with the Marlies, it's foreseeable that he comes up. Yeah, I think he's he's interesting. Like you mentioned, like if they lost Crawl and or sorry, if they lost Ben and Mete or one of them. Like crawl could be an option at some point. Obviously, they have Carl Dahlstrom, who's not a prospect. Um, Alex yeah, Steves, maybe at some point. We actually have a crawl question. So, did you see James? I thought you'd be really excited by the pairing at practice today. Did you see it? Who, who was it? Crawl and Hall. Oh no, I liked <laughs> it when you, you there was crawl and Dahlstrom the other day, and I was calling them Crawlstrom. Those <laughs> That's are the, I like the ones. I like the ones when you can combine the two names into something like back. Remember when they played Roby da and Holzer together and I called him Roby Dolzer. I remember. Yeah. Or what about Exelby and finger? And it was Fingleby. There was, there were some other ones too. Very funny. <laughs> or finger and Ranger. And it was Ranger. Anyway, I used to do that more than I do now. Probably a good thing. Yeah. I don't think that the players liked me doing that for whatever reason. Yeah. I would. I got that. I got that. I got that impression. Uh, George wants to know: Given Kali Yarncroft's versatility, would you keep him with Tavares and Nylander, or and possibly line him up at center? Maybe not always, but sometimes in the defensive zone. Uh, and would you say that Yarncroft replaces Kerfoot at some point as the Swiss Army knife? Pun intended. Well, he's well, not he's, Swiss. He's not he's Swiss. Not Swiss. He's Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> Swedish Swedish army knife. Well, he is going to eventually replace him because he signed for three more years after this one, and Kerfoot is UFA next summer. I mean, they could conceivably re-sign Kerfoot. It's still too early. Like, we don't know how he's going to look with Tavares and Neander, right? Like, we don't know anything. James? 
I have I have limited thoughts on that. So okay. all right. I think we're running I got one I want I actually want you to answer this one because I don't know the answer. Brandon wants to know can you break down Sheldon Keefe's process of selecting and of selection and training camp? How does he design these split squads for the games and practices? He just he's mentioned that he just likes to get different looks at different things. A lot of the time it's combinations, right? It's not necessarily the whole line or I mean the pairings in some cases like it's just you go back to last training camp and I think like there was a time when I think Sandine got some reps with like uh, TJ Brody, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. first preseason game last year. And then that was something like eventually that I think they ended up doing during the season or had to do. So a lot of the times he's just trying to see what, for instance, Abe Kubel looks like with Kerfoot and see if there's any chemistry there and then add a third guy. You know what I mean? Like you're just trying to see different combinations and see if anything clicks. Like I, I do think it's interesting the way they start camp by putting Marner with Tavares. And I, I think it makes sense. Like, let's just get those guys some reps together just in case something happens and we need to play them together. So at least it's not like it's been a year and a half since they played regularly regularly together. So I don't think it's for nothing. Uh, I think next week is when we'll really start to see more ingrained combinations, like combinations we could see to start the season. This week is still kind of playing around with different things and seeing how things look and seeing chemistry. And like, you want to see how Adam Gaudet looks when you're giving him like an amazing chance to play with Marner and Tavares. Does he fit in with those guys? Like, can he make them better? You know what I mean? Like, you're just trying to give different guys different looks, different opportunities uh, in camp. Like, why not? Why not play around? So this question kind of, and I think we can probably close it out with this one because we're uh, we're at time here. But James B wants to know. He says every season it seems that Keith does something unexpected with the lines or the D combos that no one anticipates. Yeah, try and anticipate it if you dare. Is there something that you think that you've seen through camp that's like, yeah, that makes sense. I think he might actually do that. I guess. Do you think Kerfoot at center qualifies? Mm, a little bit. I mean, yeah. But I under it, it makes sense though because it's very logical because he, he can't play with Tavares and Nylander again, and he, he he's not going to play with Cav. And you have all these other new forwards, so I think we can anticipate that that's what's going to happen. I think you know I think we can kind of guess that that might happen. Is there anything that like would be more out of left field for you? I can't think of anything, but that's why like I literally that's something I do in the summers or the last couple summers is try to think of things that like he might do that would throw me off. What about Tavares and Marner playing playing back together again? Do you think that that might potentially happen at some point? But I thought of that. Like that's something I like went into camp thinking like this is not inconceivable. It's unlikely just because of how good that line was last year. You know what I mean? Like that's not I, a good example of of what you're talking about is when training camp started and Thornton was playing with Matthews and Marner. Mm-hmm. there's nothing yeah. that like is going to qualify like that this year. I don't think so. Unless like all of a sudden Kyle Clifford is playing with Tavares and Neander. That might be the one. Mm-hmm. I think if maybe if Mulgan's in the top six, that might be a surprise. Yeah, if if like, he can find a way yeah. to stick there. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But like, if you were asking me like, where could he potentially play? It would be the fourth line or there. All right. Well, this has been like a this has been a crazy podcast off the rails right away. Thanks to me, not you. It was my fault, James. I I let it get off the rails. 
but I think we got it back. I think I think it was a, a brilliant show. <laughs> the other so, thing people in the comments are saying is they want to read your your story about Zach Aston Reese tomorrow. So there's oh, there's some pressure. Baby. How would they know? Well, they're just they're actually just saying they want more Jonah stories. So oh baby, <laughs> I got some good. I've had some. You know, it's been fun and it's awesome that we get to talk to the players in person again. There's just going to be more stuff. Like it's going to be a fun year to cover the team again. Yeah, it's been a challenge the last couple of years for sure. You know, and I think that the athletic one of the things we thrive on is is having that access and that. I mean, there's there's lots of examples of stories where you just happen to have a conversation with a player in the dressing room and it it turns into something really great or really unique. And without that that interaction, it's it's just harder to to get those stories. A hundred percent. So, kudos to everyone. Um, for sticking with us uh, James I will be back next week the Leafs have a couple preseason games this week and then they play Monday in Montreal so probably we'll record on that Tuesday or Wednesday I think we've not talked about this so I'm putting you on the spot so somewhere in that neighborhood right we'll, we'll have a pretty good handle I think on, on what the team will look like by then I will commit to recording a podcast on a day next week book it James book it I will share the schedule with you in advance next time actually okay. no I never do that alright alright yeah, well, well we, this... remember we used to do the live shows and you had it all written out and I would take your paper and throw it <laughs> yeah. to the crowd yeah that's, yeah that's my version of doing that thanks for helping alright James we'll talk next week thanks to everybody for listening and uh, yeah goodbye James thanks to Punch our producer as always 